Our scripture reading this morning is from the second chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2, and we want to just commence a reading at the verse 18. I am very conscious that once the name of the book Revelation is mentioned, that there is almost a natural intrigue and an appreciation of this wonderful book. It is one of the great mysterious books of the Bible, and I'm glad that at the beginning of this book we read a very wonderful and a very important point. It says, Blessed are they that read the words of this prophecy. I'm glad that it does not say, Blessed are they that understand the words of this prophecy. For I confess that I would be numbered amongst those. But it does say, blessed are they that read the words of this prophecy. So reading through the 22 chapters of the book of Revelation, there is the assurance that we indeed shall be blessed of the Lord. We're going into a portion of this second chapter that is the fourth message, as it were, to the churches in Asia. It is to the church at Tharatarum. We want to take a reading at verse 18. And unto the angel of the church in Tharatara write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. They gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Tharatara, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my words unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations." And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We'll end a reading just there at that verse 29, knowing that God will add to the public reading of his word his own divine seal of approval 
and blessing. I am sure that many people in the congregation this morning have heard sermons addressed on the messages to the seven churches in Asia. They provide us with a foundation that is heart-searching, that is challenging, that is inspirational. And yet as I look at the messages to the seven churches, I identify very simply that each one is introduced in a different way. As we look at the introduction, we find that each one is a word description of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. So that when the pastor of the church would receive this message, that his first mind was not directed to the substance of the message, but rather to the author of the message. And if you go through carefully those seven messages, you will find that these word descriptions are so beautiful and so revealing of our blessed Redeemer. Here in the message to the church at Tharatara, we read in verse 18, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet like unto a fine brass. Sometimes a pastor or a minister may feel that they have a comprehensive understanding of the spiritual state of their congregation before whom he ministers. But these letters to the seven churches prove that there are certain issues that needed to be challenged and particular weaknesses that demanded the immediate attention of the oversight. We discover in these messages that instead of the church advancing, it was in retreat. Instead of stability, there was instability. Instead of consecration, uh, there was compromise. And instead of spiritual prosperity, uh, there was spiritual uh, bankruptcy. Why the oversight in the churches uh, did not face up to these dangers, uh, we are not told. But what we can detect is very simple. There was a lack of communion with the blessed Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why I do believe that at the beginning of these messages, we are asked to center or to focus our attention upon the blessed Lord Jesus Christ himself. So here we have it in verse 18. These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. Three very simple things I would like to deliver to you. First of all, we have the highest identification, the Son of God. And then secondly, we have the holiest insight, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. And then thirdly, there is the humblest imprint, his feet are like a fine brass. But first of all, the highest identification. As we study through the scriptures, 
we discover that the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to by some 156 different titles. The Anointed One, the Bright and Morning Star, the Chief Cornerstone, the Desire of Nations, the Everlasting Father, the Friend of Sinners, and the Gift of God, the Horn of Salvation, and so on. But without doubt, the one that stands out from all the rest is this one, uh, the Son of God. Now, some might question why it is selectively used here in introducing the message to uh, the fourth church, uh, the church at uh, Tharatara. But there is, I believe, a simple reason. And that is number four out of the seven is always central. You have one to three on one side and five to seven on the other, but four stands in the center. To the first church we read, he that holdeth the seven stars. To the second, he which was dead and is alive. To the third, he that hath the sharp sword. To the fifth, he that hath the seven spirits. To the sixth, he that hath the key of David. And to the seventh, he that is the ultimate amen. But this fourth one is the one from which everything radiates. The Son of God. And as we dwell upon that thought, we come to appreciate that he is the living Son of God. I know that that will be a very simple point, and one that I urge you not to dismiss because of its simplicity, but there is great benefit for all of us to appreciate that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed alive. We know that on nine different occasions, he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. But it is most interesting to appreciate that even after his ascension into heaven, he appeared to men and women. I think of Saul of Tarsus on that road. I think of him as he is breathing out threatening and slaughter against the Lord's disciples, and the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him and said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And to him that was an astounding intervention. He thought all the time that he was persecuting uh, the Lord's people. Uh, those who were advocating the resurrection, he thought, were heretical in their message. Now he is brought face to face with the living Savior. Uh, and he said to him, Saul, Saul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That, of course, is the picture of the husbandman with the oxen going into the field to plow. And the oxen is so stubborn and so defiant that it will not move. So the husbandman with the long stake and the prick at the end, he strikes the back end of the oxen in an effort to make it move. And it kicks back. Then he strikes again, and it kicks back, and he strikes again until it eventually moves. 
And God was saying to Saul through the Lord Jesus Christ, you are like that oxen. You're kicking against the pricks. I wonder this morning, is there someone who in their heart is doing exactly the same thing? The Lord is speaking to them, has been speaking to them, and they've been kicking against the pricks. Then the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Saul as Paul later on. When he was passing through a difficult time, the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet him, and the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to him in his post-ascension revelation. And he said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And in that we learn something most precious about the Son of God, that whenever he saved us, those who are saved by his sovereign grace, he gave us this title. For we are told, behold, now we are the sons of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I find that thought almost overwhelming, that we should be identified as the sons of God. He is the living Son of God, but he also is the lovely Son of God. I always find great comfort in the words that are discovered in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, uh, where the bride is asked the question, uh, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? Uh, and then she gives a, a word description of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as she comes describing her beloved, uh, she comes to the place where it seems as if she can find little else to verbalize her thoughts. And she cries out, Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. He is the living Son of God. He is the lovely Son of God. But he also is the Son of God who loves. There is a tremendous revelation in the gospel when in Galatians 2 we read these words, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by the faith of the Son of God. So many times in my ministry, I have heard dear people very sincerely and undoubtedly very genuinely saying, 
I wish I could have more faith. Can I lovingly say to you that it's not your faith. It's his faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God. I don't live by my faith. I live by his faith. I live in him. I walk in him. I die in him. I will be with him. I live by the faith of the Son of God. And what is more, there are occasions when we are encouraged and challenged to love the Lord more. There's nothing wrong with that. But this I must say, that I will never love my Lord more than he loves me. No matter how I try to dwell upon that thought, and no matter how much I seek to energize my thinking into the challenge of loving him more, I will never love him more than he loves me. I want you to get that this morning. Because he is the son of God. The highest identification. And then we have the holiest insight. It says, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire. I have already alluded to the fact that there is two word descriptions of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible, at least referring to one. And that is in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5, and then, of course, in Revelation, chapter 1. And, and it is most wonderful to read that in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ are described as having the eyes of a dove, gentle and tender. But here, he is spoken of with his eyes like unto a flame of fire. And some people say, but that's a contradiction in the Bible. But I contest it is not. For this very reason. That when our Lord Jesus Christ went into the temple, just prior to his crucifixion, he saw the money changers. He saw those who were buying and selling. And he entered into their midst and with eyes like unto a flame of fire, he drove out the money changers. He drove away the cattle and the oxen and he told those who had doves to carry them thence. And on that occasion, his eyes were as a flame of fire. But then just a little while later, he was brought into his ecclesiastical trial in the palace of Cephas. It was at that same time that Peter was brought into the forecourt of that palace and we, we know the story how that he denied being in the company and associated with the Lord Jesus Christ. But during that time, the Savior was down in the, in the courtroom and they put a blindfold over his face and men went forward and they smote him on the face and then they stood back and said, prophesy who smote thee. And that went on for some considerable time 
turning it into nothing more than a game. You can imagine how that would have impacted upon the countenance of God's dear son. His eyes would have no doubt become bloodshot and around the eyes there would be swelling as those men carried out their brutal and their cruel actions. Then they decided to take him to a civil trial, that is, before Pilate. So they brought the Lord Jesus Christ from the courtroom of the high priest. And as they did so, he crossed the courtyard where Peter was. The Bible says something most remarkable. In Luke 22, it says, And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Not with the eyes like flame of fire, but rather with the eyes as tender as a dove. For we read that Peter remembered the word of the Lord and went out and wept bitterly. Please keep in mind that if the Lord Jesus Christ had to have spoken to Peter, Peter was finished. He had been denying any association with him. And if the Savior had to have said Peter by name or some other verbal comment made in his direction, the seething crowd would have taken him and I believe they would have destroyed him. The Savior knew that and didn't speak, but he looked. And through those tender eyes of holiest insight, Peter detected a tenderness and a sympathy and an understanding that melted and broke his heart. Maybe, just maybe, in this service today, there is someone who is backslidden in heart. True it is, you still come to the house of God, and that's good. You, you do your best to join in the singing of the hymns and participate as much as you possibly can in the service, but you know in your heart there's a coldness. There's a backslidden spirit there. I, I pray lovingly this morning that you might come face to face with the tender eyes of our beloved Savior. It's not the harsh look of condemnation. It's not the bitter look of resentment. It's the tender appeal of love that you should come back to where you were. There is one final thought, and that is the holiest imprint. And his feet are like fine brass. I must confess, when I studied this portion, I find it difficult to understand what this meant. 
I, I could appreciate the reference to the Son of God and his highest identification, his eyes like onto a flame of fire, as holy as inside. But when it came to his feet like fine brass, I struggled with that. I couldn't grasp for a long time what that really meant. And then one day it struck me very forcibly that fine brass absorbs the most intense heat that can be created. And immediately, I thought of the three Hebrew children. I thought of how when the king went and looked into that burning fiery furnace, he said, though I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And then for the first time in my entire ministry, I appreciated what happened that day, that as those three Hebrew children were put into that burning fiery furnace, the Lord Jesus Christ with feet as fine brass walked in before them and he absorbed all the heat of that furnace. The flame was still burning. The smoke was still ascending. But they did not feel any hurt because he absorbed all the heat. And isn't it remarkable that this king could even say, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then I read in Isaiah, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou passest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. I know for some of you, there is a fiery trial ahead. We've been praying for you. And there is understandably a degree of apprehension, nervousness, as you approach that fiery trial. But could I just say lovingly to you, not in any personal but in a collective way, that the one whose feet are like fine brass has already gone into that trial before you. He will absorb the intense heat of that trial so that that flame will not kindle upon thee. And when I think of that, I think of the fiery indignation of a holy and a righteous God that was manifested on the cross at Calvary. And there the Lord Jesus Christ as my substitute, he absorbed the heat of hell for a sinner like me. All that hell should have been to me, 
the Lord Jesus Christ absorbed on that cruel tree. A few months ago, I was very graciously invited to lead a group of Canadian Chinese Christians to the land of Israel. I'd never met them before, but they'd made contact with me through a funeral that I'd taken in Canada last year. And I was happy to, to lead them, as it were, in Israel. But we had a guide. He was a Jewish guide. We have to have a Jewish guide or a guide that's governmentally approved. And I'd never met him before. He was a stranger to me. But it wasn't long in our conversations with him that he made it very clear. He said, I can't forgive God. I'd never heard that expression before. I can't forgive God. And I said, why? And he said, because of the Holocaust, I cannot forgive God. A couple of days later, we were sitting in Mount Carmel and I was explaining to the group, and he was in the center of the group, about what took place and the fire that descended at the prayer of Elijah and burnt the sacrifice and consumed the altar and so on. And then I said, there's something remarkable about that story. And it's this. That at the cross at Calvary, Instead of the fire consuming the sacrifice, the sacrifice consumed the fire. He got up. He said, I see it now. I never saw that before. I see that there is one who has taken the fire of God's wrath. That's wonderfully true. That is why we read here, Thus these things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. It's hard not to say from the depths of your heart, in full view of Calvary, my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Thank you for listening. I trust that God will graciously apply his word to your heart this Lord's Day morning. Let's just take a moment in prayer before we sing our closing hymn. Our Father, we cannot fully understand the great price that was paid for us, but we know that consistently throughout thy word there is this wonderful pointing to the shedding of the Saviour's precious blood. We thank thee for him who devoured on our behalf 
those who are thine, the very flames of hell. Help me to understand it. Help me to take it in, what it meant for thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sin. Lord Jesus Christ, we do not see thee as we see one another, but from the very depths of our hearts, we want to say, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.